Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Overlap, Not The Overload. My name is Ellie Techley, and I'm here with Rian again. Hello, this is Rian. How are you doing today, Elias? I'm good. Um, I've been I've been really just not so busy recently. Honestly, right. I haven't I've had much to do. I've just really been prepping for this more than anything. Just like watching Netflix and literally sitting uh, on my ass doing good, <laughs> good prep. Good prep. Netflix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, what did you do this weekend? Oh man, um, I hung out for a little bit. Went for a run, which is nice. Um, wow. And really just. Put my feet up and read. I've, I've just been reading and prepping for work, honestly, more than anything outside of that. Like, not too much going on. So, how about right. you? Oh, uh, well, I had to go to New York yesterday. To oh, where are you going for? Uh, I had to move in my bed frame. Oh, you moved all that stuff yeah. yesterday? Did yeah. you ever end up buying that one? I did not buy a bed frame. <laughs> I, I did not person. buy a bed frame This from this uh, girl who tried to get me to uh, come up, disassemble the bed frame in her apartment, and then <laughs> try and move it on my own, and... Then have to reassemble it myself again. Uh, no, I did not. I did not buy that bed frame from her. No, I just went to IKEA. Yeah, something. that was a that was a good economics. Yeah, like yeah. I went up with went up with my dad yesterday and um, nice. Okay. Moved some stuff in. Oh, the one in Brooklyn. Um, no, no. I went up with my dad and moved it into uh, got it, got the apartment it. in uh, East Village. So nice, fun. Yeah, we don't have that much time to go before yeah. we before moving. That's nuts. Well. You don't. Yeah, I know. You have, you have a little <laughs> I more until time. October. But <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm envious of that. Well, while we're chilling at home, not doing too much, um, that's the reason for this podcast, I guess, why we started, right? <laughs> so um, we're going to do a couple things today. Uh, like we talked about last week, we're going to do a nice preview of the English Premier League, mainly focusing on the top six teams. Uh, that's going to be starting off with City, going down to Liverpool, and then working our way down to Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, um, as well as whatever is left of Manchester United. So um, we're going to start off first with City. Um, great year for them. It was a great year. But before we even start, I want to uh, first apologize to uh, any French players or fans of Ligue 1 that, uh, <laughs> that I may have upset by saying your league is absolute trash <laughs> and uh, saying that French players are enigmas. <laughs> I think you got a lot of hate mail for that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, especially PSG fans probably were not very happy, but they were, what, they're not really. Yeah, happy. yeah. There, there, are many, like, there yeah, aren't many of yeah. them. All six of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, half the starting eleven. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Of course. Um, but yeah. So before we go into city, I just want to say before we go into all of this, we're gonna be. I'm gonna be using uh, some terminology here. Expected goals. Um, expected assists and expected points. And just before I uh, start really using them in these predictions, I just want to say expected goals, right? It measures the quality of a shot based on several variables, such as assist type, shot angle, and distance from goal, whether it was headed, a headed shot, or whether it was defined as a big chance. So basically, it's a stat that just gives us an indication of how many goals a player or team should have scored on average, given the shots that they've taken. Right, um, expected assists measures the likelihood of given passes um, that will become assists. Will become a goal assist. It considers several factors, including the type of pass, the end point of the pass, and the length of the pass. So basically, giving an indication of how many assists a player of a team should have had based on their build-up and attacking play. And then finally, expected points is basically calculated from the win probability of uh, matches based on the expected goal differential in a particular match. 
right? So it helps to show the real strengths and weaknesses from the past season, as well as predicting future performance if nothing's changed. So, for example, an expected goal differential in a particular game that might be um, at least one and a half has an expected points of 2.7, right? And, you know, as the goal differential goes down, though, the expected points, you know, varies, right? Right. Um, I'll make sure that we put in links for these sources, right? That'll mostly from Optisports, and then there'll also be a link to a video that really helps to explain expected points, expected goals. But not going to use it too much, but it will be something that'll come into our uh, predictions and also just from reviewing last season. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good tool to have, right? But once you start over-relying on statistics, then it kind of just gets used improperly. Exactly. Um, so yeah. we're going to try and use it as properly as we can, um, starting off with the champions of England, Manchester City. Um, incredible season. Incredible. <laughs> they, they put up the second most points in history in a Premier League season. Second to, <laughs> to themselves. themselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 98 points. They ended the season winning 14 straight matches. That's they nuts. won 18 of their last 19 matches in the Premier League. They dropped three points in the second half of the season. Oh <laughs> and they were seven points behind Liverpool at one point. That, yeah, right? yeah, so, that's right. So just realize, like, they had to win 14 games yeah, in a row yeah, yeah. to keep Liverpool off of them. It really, it kind of puts into perspective just how tight it was at the top, too. And I'm yeah. sure we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Liverpool as well. Just when you look at it in the context of how far... Manchester City had to come to actually from, you know, the winter break, which usually is defined as as that critical point to the end of the season was probably some of the toughest times, at least from what I've seen that Pep has had to go through as a manager. Um, So I thought that was incredible, even by his standards. I mean, the margins were unreal. Mm -hmm. Um, Two games that they played Liverpool, especially the second one um, in the second half of the season. That was a classic. That was like... Yeah, where it's just more like the um, Sonic goals were like just off the post, like stuff missing, like goals going in by just yeah, like a couple yeah. centimeters in the end, and that's the difference in the end of the season. It's yeah. a one point difference. Was that the uh, the Johnstones? That was um, in the first game. Yeah, yeah, the first yeah, yeah. game in the first goal, half of the no season. Goal. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, first team to go back to back with yeah. uh, Premier League titles since uh, Manchester United in two thousand eight and two thousand nine. Yeah. Um, they unfortunately knocked out of the Champions League quarterfinals in that unbelievable game with uh, with Tottenham. I can't believe I missed the first twenty minutes of that game. That was, I that was, you like, not, that was the whole game. That was like yeah, that was like eighty percent of the goals yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> but it's all right. You still got to see the VAR decision. No, that's the worst part. I missed that too. <laughs> okay. I was going to bring it up, but Great. you had to do me like that. But uh, but it was it was in a season where they were missing De Bruyne. And Mendy for a lot, a Large big, chunk big chunk of the yeah. season. They miss, they were missing Mendy for probably at least like 80% of the season. And then right. De Bruyne was in and out in terms of injuries. Um, the season really, last season really showed like they're the team with the most depth in yeah. the entire league. They've, they're one of the deepest Ar- teams. Europe. Yeah. They're one of the deepest teams in Europe easily. They have, they, they have two players at each position. Now with the, adding Rodri, they have two players right. at each position mm. That are really good options. Yeah. <laughs> They're all world class. Yeah. There's no one that's like dipped below a certain level that you can say, oh, well, he's obviously not going to be a starter, right? Yeah. Anyone in that team could easily be a starter. Yeah. Unbelievable. No De Bruyne, no Mendy, and they had five players last year with at least seven assists. <sighs> 
Like it's 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 awesome just to have two of them. Yeah, <laughs> two of every five. player. Yeah, they had five. They had five players with seven at least seven assists, and they had four players in the top ten of expected assists. Who were um, Raheem Sterling, David Silva, Sane, who seemed like he didn't play that much, but still had ten goals and ten assists. Yeah. last year. Yeah, for someone who was arguably, I guess you could say, was one of the people that quote unquote wasn't a starter. Right. Know? And then Bernardo Silva, who was. Player of the year for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with De Bruyne injured, it was really like the ascendance of him becoming a world-class player. Right, right. Right? Um, he hit career highs in shots per 90, key passes per 90, and you know, key passes are just passes that lead to shots. And then um, also hits career highs and expected goals and expected assists. Um, seven goals and seven assists. It was his best. It was definitely a better season than his first year with City because he got to play a lot more. Right, and right. it looked like he really became one of the best attacking midfielders in Europe. So, Well, what I think the, the interesting thing with Bernardo Silva is that you kind of hear all this talk about um, the Ballon d'Or, right? right. And... I think this is one of the most interesting debates in football is that you hear, oh, the whole Messi Van Dyke, like who's gonna who's gonna really get mm-hmm. this year? Um, I don't forget Ronaldo, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, so you hear those two in the conversation, plus some guy in Italy, and you start you you kind of think like about levels, right? right? And Bernardo Bernardo Silva Bernard I can't even say his name. I'm just going to say the other Silva. Yes. He was at a level and he was playing on a level that was possibly and arguably in the top 5, top 3. Right. When he was at his best, he took over De Bruyne's role yeah. seamlessly. And De Bruyne was a linchpin. Or, yeah. You know, he was he was critical. He was their that. best player the, this, exactly. the two years ago. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. in their 106-point season, yes. right? Like, that was that was the player that they always needed around. Right. And when De Bruyne got injured, I think a lot of people felt that, okay, this could be Liverpool's time to shine. Man City mm-hmm. started to dip. It, someone had to fill that void. Um, and I thought Bernardo, Bernardo Silva, mm-hmm. there you go, um, did an incredible job of that. He was just a joy to watch. His movement reminds me of of David Silva and Iniesta yeah. in that sort of combo. Um, and his vision is so sharp yeah. at the same time. He's he's somehow also never runs out of energy. I yeah, think that's he, the thing that impresses me the most about yeah. him is his his like tenacity coming back to defend. He's yeah. like even watching uh, the Nations League this year when he was with Portugal, like he was. Mm-hmm their best player, yeah. but not just because he was their most creative player. He was really great at getting back to defend. So um, No, I thought he was great. I think yeah. he he will easily be a starter again this season. Um, I wish him the best because it's a really a joy to watch him play, regardless of, you know, stats or anything. Just the way that he understands the game and reads it is, is impeccable. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, for this upcoming season, they didn't – there wasn't a lot of major um, transfers for City. Like, they brought in Rodri. We talked about him last last week. Mm-hmm. Um, he was – I'm sure he's going to do great. Like, yeah. I, 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 I have no doubt. Um, but uh, once again, like I said, they've got the most depth in the league, you know, especially with adding Rodri to that holding mid. Now they can rotate him and Fernandinho. They've got a more creative option at that position. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, like I said before, they're just their machine. They're just an absolute yeah. machine. They're going to be able to easily um, compete on uh, Europe, on the European level, and in the Premier League this year. They're going to be able to possibly. They could win three trophies this year. They could easily, easily. win the treble. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, I, nothing's easy when it not comes easy, to the treble, but, but, but they, they easily have yeah. the talent. They Absolutely. easily have the talent to win it. Absolutely. Um, I think their only possible weakness is. 
perhaps at center back. Um, John Stones had a pretty tough season last year, especially after, yeah. um, you know, two years ago, he was one of their best defenders for sure. And then he was great at the 2018 World Cup and um, wasn't that great last season. And that's when Laporte really stepped up. Um, but Laporte I can't imagine. And company. And company, were, company at times. And yeah. Otamendi, you know, they were, yeah. they were really rotating that second center back. They... They didn't have a real linchpin that was playing next right. to Laporte the whole time, so um, he's still very Johnson's still very young. So I, I think he'll he'll uh, bounce back and possibly form a really good partnership with Laporte. I yeah. think that's I think that's their one possible area of weaknesses. Yeah, if you back. had to highlight, if, if you had to pick one, yeah, right. and um, it's still really really good. Still I mean, really it's not good. it's not Van Dyke to Lick. It's like we're yeah, talking no, about, no, it's, no, you know, no, but it's yeah. a strong pairing. Of course, of course, and just for Champions League, you know, I I think last season was their. Last season was the best chance they had ever had up until yeah. that point in their history, for sure. Just looking at the path that it would have taken to win Champions League, oh, right? For sure. Um, yeah. If they're able to get past Spurs, they play an Ajax team that that you know on, on paper they're much more talented than. I would have killed to see that. <clears throat> it would have been awesome to see those team plays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then you know they would have had a shot at Liverpool at the end, which would have been great too. Yeah. But um, I think, uh, especially last year, since the traditional big big clubs were not as great. Um, but I think this season they're still outstandingly talented um, with one of, if not the best coach in the world. And uh, I think with everything, they may actually focus more on Champions League this year than domestic league, You know, yeah. even though they don't have to with the amount of players they have. The funny thing is that Liverpool won the trophy that City exactly. so desperately wanted. Yeah. And- City won the trophy yeah. that Liverpool so desperately yeah. wanted. So, but I, I really, I really think, I really think they're probably the best team in Europe. I think they, I think I put them as a favorite, as my favorite at least. For the to Champions, win Champions League. League. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think it's hard to argue with that. Um, I'm interested to see if I know there are reports that Leroy Sané might be on his way to Bayern now. Right. Um, I mean, that sort of is growing, but um, how that impacts them might be interesting as well. But yeah, even even if he departs, I think they're top two, top three to contend yeah. for the Champions League for sure. So it's uh, hopefully they don't run into any bumps along yeah. the way so outside of Barcelona. But. For you, success. What's success for City this year? They they have to get to the final of the Champions okay. League. Yeah, I agree. I think they I have, totally agree. They have too much depth. They have too much skill. They have too much talent. Um, City are definitely a force to contend with. They just need to prove it now. They've, they've proven it domestically. There's no doubt about that. Right. Um but Europe is a little different. You can, you know, once you get to the, cha- the Champions League final, things happen in finals, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't predict. That's why I say winning the Champions League itself is kind of its own beast. But getting yourself to the final is absolutely doable over two yeah. legs. You know, obviously, they'll get through the group stage and yeah. they'll make it through round of 16. You know, yeah. you hopefully they should. You expect, you expect them, them to. Them to. Yeah. Um, and then you start running into really, really difficult teams. I would expect them to beat those teams. And I would expect them to get to the final of the Champions League. Yeah. Who they face in the final, it's... Totally up in the air. Right. So that would, that would be success for me. The Premier League success is clearly winning it for yeah. a third year in a row. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Right. Well, with that wrapped up, we move on to Liverpool. The runners-up by a single point on the last match day of the year where, I mean, they could have, in theory, won it. But right. they weren't likely to win it with yeah. City winning easily on the last day. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on their season? Um, it was, I mean... <laughs> It had to be Liverpool's best Premier League season ever. Like, you can't... I don't think you can really 
argue any like Premier League started in 1992. They have not won a Premier League trophy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true. (laughs) They they just finished with 97 points. They finished with the third most points in the history of the Premier League. Second to. Uh, or sorry, second was Man City with 98. Yeah. First was Man City with 100 <laughs> points. Like, right, right. I mean, it's, it's the third highest points total ever. So, um, domestically, it was, their, it was their best their best season ever. Like, they were they were so fun to watch. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. It was like that last season was when they became a Klopp team. Right. Or and at least they, a, a club team that was a back Klopp, to a Klopp, oh, a team. Klopp team. Yeah, like oh, a Jurgen oh, oh. Klopp team. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, that I mean that speaks to my point too, right? Like they became a team that you think of in the top five, top ten. Right. They they're no longer like, oh, they're Liverpool. Like they mm-hmm. have this history that you think about, you know, whatever, fifteen, twenty years ago. Yeah. It's more of the Liverpool of now. Yeah. Now. Um you think about the impact that Klopp has had. It's been my God, tenfold. He's he's taken the team from you know, the downfalls of the 2013-14 season they yeah. had to, it reminds me of, it reminds me of the way that he coached Dortmund when he was able to cultivate a culture there that That's the was, thing. Yeah, yeah, that was reminiscent of strength, of drive, motivation. Yeah. There, you know, there, there's nothing in that team or no one in that team that you think of that's you know, oh, I'm gonna, I, I'm slacking off, or you right. think of that, like this person or this individual slacking yeah, off. Yeah, no one's there as like a luxury. Exactly, everyone's there to do their job, and they're doing it well. And I think that definitely comes down to the manager in charge, mm-hmm. um, and that has to give or go, you know, full plaudits to him. Yeah, yeah. Like last thing, they really got their identity. I think I, just going along with what you said there. First top three finish since the thirteen fourteen season. Um, Mane and Salah, Salah share the golden boot with uh, Aubameyang with 22 goals. It's outrageous to yeah. have from yeah. on top. two players, two players, two, two, two players, players with team. 22 yeah. goals. That's outrageous, right? Um, obviously, they won the Champions League for the sixth time in their history. Yes, yeah. I'm not bitter. Yeah, I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> why should you be? No, no reason. <laughs> um, and really, un- like I said, undoubtedly their best season ever. Um, it wasn't even close. In terms of who the best fullbacks in the league and perhaps Europe, Europe. Yeah. are Robertson and Alexander Arnold. Twelve assists for Alexander Arnold. Eleven assists for Andrew Robertson. That is ridiculous. That's, that's <laughs> like they're, actually, they're nice. like they're literally they're looking like the English version of uh, Danny Alves and Jordi Alba yeah, and Pep's yeah. team. No, like, that's... They're, really, they're the reincarnation <laughs> of that. Yeah, I right? was literally thinking, I was trying to think of, of, you know, best fullback pairings in the last, like, 10, 15 years yeah. or so. The ones that came to mind were, you know, at the top of that list, I'm, of course, biased, but yeah, Danny no, Alves no. and Jordi Alba, right? Like, exactly. that, that was a connection with the front three that they had that was incredible. Um, and you see the same thing in Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson and you think that that pairing is going to be around for a while because they're both really young. They're they're in their yeah they're in their tw- early twenties. Yeah, right? like Alexander Arnold is twenty one. Yeah, um, <laughs> Alexander Arnold came to the academy and Andrew Robertson cost him twelve million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> literal the, bargains. <laughs> yeah, and they just fit the Klopp system perfectly. They the great thing about them is that they provide the attacking width. That allows Salah, Mane, and Firmino to operate in the box in the middle. So they really open it up completely for those three guys. They right. they make it possible for those guys to just 
chill around the box and right. and um, be able to poach and you know do play their combinations within the eighteen, right? Yeah, and when you when you overload the wings like that too, you kind of force defenders into uh, a numbers game yeah. where if you have five attacking, three through the middle, and two down the flanks, then you at least need to drag a midfielder right. you know, back into your, your back four. If you're playing in back five, then you risk becoming flat. And so there are just so many problems that the five of those together, the five players together can cause, and it's it's a joy to watch they're so they're so, good at, they're so good at crossing, too. Like, the... Crossing is so hard as is, yeah. and, and crossing like goals are very rarely scored off crosses. Yeah, right. But they play great early crosses. That's like a killer. They're killer early crosses. So even even now, sometimes when I when I close my eyes, I can still see Trent. Alexander oh my Arnold gosh! Yeah, towards the, the, the corner flag at Anfield, yeah. watching Gerard Piquet's face looking at the ball <laughs> going in the back of the net. Yeah, they're they're you know um, two they're the best fullback combination in Europe um, easily, um, and and like we said, two of the best full attacking fullbacks in in Europe. Um, only Lucas Dinier of Everton had an expected assist of over seven as a defender. There was those two, and then Lucas Dinier. And fourth place had less than five expected goals. So, so wow. Dean actually had a great season. He was, he I mean, was that's great. Yeah, different subject, but that yeah. just goes to show you how you know again levels, levels different levels of course, entirely. Of course, of course. So um, also they, in terms of the transfer market, they did not also do that great. Uh, do uh, sorry, do that much. Um, and uh, you could say you know finishing one point off. First, with third most points ever in the Premier League history, and winning Champions League, definitely a good reason to believe that you have very little to nothing to do in terms of um, following up with the transfer market. Right. Um, right. However, uh, if you look at their expected points, it would actually say they were about 13 points less. Um, they should have gotten around 84 points, um, just because they won a lot of games 1-0, um, a lot of late, late winners that could have gone... Either way, Either way, right? Yeah. So, so maybe the numbers suggest they're not quite as close to City as they think they are. But you know, um, you'd expect maybe a full season of Keita and a full season of Fabinho. Yeah. Um, that healthy, yeah, healthy, yeah. yeah. If those two guys are healthy, then this is a lot better team defensively. I think that's. I think defensively is there um, is still a bit of a question in terms of depth there, for sure. Um, especially at the fullback position. Yeah, um, Klein's injury. Makes them really stretched at right back. Right. right? Um, there's and they have no natural left back to rotate with Andrew Robertson. Right. They. It's Milner is awesome, but <laughs> he's, you can't. He's not a natural. You can't rely back. on a 33 year old James Milner to keep playing out of position at a high level. So, right. Right. That's something to think about. Um, I think if Joe Gomez is completely healthy for them um, and he pairs up with Van Dyke. Uh, he had injury problems last year, so if he's healthy, I think that's a really good pairing. The pro- I don't have a problem with Joe Gomez in that mm-hmm. in that lineup. I I just don't think he's necessarily as reliable right. when it comes to just you know talent and skill of as course. as the rest of those or the rest of that back line. Um, so I mean, if they had to to dip a little more into the transfer market either in January or next season, it would it would look into either people or players that can become starters in that back line um, or at the very least make Robertson, Van Dyke, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold all compete for their spots yeah. a, little, a little more heavily because right now they are entrenched starters, but it's always good to, to spur competition. Yeah. And in terms of their Champions League outlook, what are you thinking? 
I mean, they want. It's it's hard to turn around and say that the team that yeah. just won it shouldn't at least go deep right. next season. The thing is, Real Madrid were the first team to repeat Champions Yeah, it's success. really hard to repeat. It's really, <laughs> really hard. And even then, they did it with a large slice of luck. So right. I, I'm hesitant to say that any team should win the Champions League again. Um, but based on just, again, it goes back to Klopp's mentality. I, I fully expect them to make a deep run again. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised to see them reach the, the final. I mean, they have the same group of players with the same drive for success, even more so now that they barely missed off missed out on the on the Premier League as well. Yeah. So I'm sure that they'll carry them. But I do, a part of me does believe that they will likely focus more yeah. on the Premier League. I totally than, agree. Than the and, Champions League. and we know what success for Liverpool is. It's it's winning the Premier League. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think they needed a, more than <laughs> almost any other team. Yeah. Moving on now, um, your beloved hometown, my number boys, one love. My boys in blue. The boys in blue. The Chelsea FC. What Last season was weird. <laughs> like a last little, season a little weird. was extremely weird. Um, Chelsea finished third with uh, 72 points, 25 points off of second place. <laughs> <laughs> Just... <laughs> Think about that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, all of, I mean, every team from third to six finished. <laughs> we're, we're basically job. not even in the same country right. as the first two. <laughs> so, um, but you know, it was it was a record margin between second and third, the highest margin, the biggest margin between second and third in Premier League yeah. history. So, but, uh, you know, La Liga's boring. But yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, but amazingly, won the Europa League. Um, back into the Champions League with finishing third. Uh, their leading scorers were obviously Hazard. Yeah. But second was Pedro with eight goals. So <laughs> you, you can tell that there's probably going to be a lot of uh, a, a lot of attacking uh, prowess to be filled here yeah. when, uh, when, when Hazard is gone. Um, Pedro's not getting any younger. Willian's not getting any younger. Definitely not. Willian's not getting any better, too. But, <laughs> but, uh, no, no, I, I, I kid. But I um, really wish so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and tweet him this entire <laughs> podcast when we're done. No, but one of the weirdest Chelsea seasons ever. You know, like I said, especially one that ended with a trophy and top four. You know, very comparable to the uh, 2012-13 season where they came off of winning the Champions League, and the manager was fired. About four months into the season, yeah. <laughs> and, and Benitez, Rafa Benitez came in in the midseason. Similarly, in this very similar way to um, to Sari, where he's very disliked by the fans, but still managed to win Europa League and finish in the top four. Right, um, and the team was very predictably. Um, relying on <laughs> on a Nazar this year. Um, it's, uh, the, well, the thing is, it's hard to not rely on your. No, best of course, player. yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still a problem. On top of not even just relying on him, but the team really lacked attacking confidence outside of him. There, there was a very big lack of confidence of like the midfield players and other wingers to uh, go at defenders and just play like a risky pass. And there, it was it seemed like players were scared to give the ball up, whether that was a part of the manager's um, system or I don't know, I don't know, maybe mentality, something like that. I don't yeah. know. But um, like I said, Hazard was fantastic. He had his best season ever. Um, he gave it his all for you guys. Yeah, yeah, for, he yeah. Like, like he, I think he knew how long as his last season, yeah, and, and he yeah. was. And on top of giving it all, like, he was given more opportunities than ever to take to shoot. He had assi- he had career highs in goals, assists, uh, shots per ninety minutes. 
uh, expected goals, expected assists. But the shots per 90 was really the biggest thing. Like, he is not a guy who shoots a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, whether but a combination of him taking on that load this year as well as um, everyone else really relying on him, um, he shot a lot and um, and was just fantastic again. You know, and I, and I said before, I really wish him the best at Madrid. So, um in terms of the transfers, it's uh, a, a bit <laughs> problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. We're just doing the Tottenham thing, but we actually have a transfer ban. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're making it harder for yes, ourselves. Yes, <laughs> of course. We're just trying to see how that goes. Um, no, so the I mean, great thing they made a Kovacic deal permanent. Um, I think he. I think there's a lot more to come from him. Really, I think. What, um, I mean, what did you think of him this season? Because he, I feel like he, he was. In and out at times. It was in and out. It was tough. I don't think he was always played. Um, I think the three has to be so specific for him to work if you're playing a three-man midfield. I think he really needed. Um, it was hard to play him, Kovacic. Or sorry, Kovacic, Jorginho, and Conte all together because uh, two of those guys want to stay back a little, you know? Right. Um, if... Kovacic is caught on the ball. He doesn't have great options. He didn't have, like, great options within that three. Yeah, with the, for outlets. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, I, they're looking to play more 4-2-3-1, so he might be better in a pivot um, or maybe yeah. maybe playing at the number 10. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more to come from him. Um, and just in general, they've been keeping a lot of the guys that they loaned out from before because uh, they just need bodies. Yeah, it's you know, younger you bodies. Too. Yeah, younger bodies, especially. Yeah, yeah. You can't afford to sell or loan out guys like Kurt Zuma um, when you have like an aging Louise on the team, and and center back is, you know, is one of the areas that you need a bit more depth in. Um, so I'm excited to see the youngsters this year. They're going to get a lot of chances, and especially Pulisic will get. We should be getting um, pretty decent early chances with Hudson Odoi out with an Achilles, yeah, and then just William and Pedro being a little older and playing in the same positions as him, I think he's going to get a bit more of a benefit of the doubt um, considering his age. I think he would kill it, too, in, in a 4-2-3-1, like playing right. on either either wing. I think that he has the pace and he has the, the skill to combine with whoever the, the lead striker is mm-hmm. um, as well as whoever the number 10 is because then you have to – he's he's great at cutting inside yeah, and you have to come inside at some point when you're playing that far out on a 4-2-3-1. Um, in the, at least the way that Chelsea could um, theoretically, so I think he, I, I really think that he could become a starter in yeah. this team. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's there's some interesting options at striker too. Um, Tammy Abraham coming back from Aston Villa, he scored 26 goals for Aston Villa in the championship last year. So um, I think he'll get a chance with Jerud. Uh, they got Jerud, Abraham, and Bashuai. So there's it's a shame about. Alvaro Morata though, like I, he just it just never worked out. Like he's, no he's a great striker. I, yeah, never, never. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know what happened. Um, he came his first two months with uh, Conte were were fantastic, and then yeah. and then something just fell off. So um, that's tough. That's tough that that didn't work out because he was really young and and seemed like a pretty good option going forward. Yeah, but uh, just for, in terms of the upcoming season. Um, it's your expectations. Expectations are pretty low. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I still think they're good enough to make top four because um, I think that fourth place spot is really up for grabs. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of stuff has to go go your way. Go, yeah. yeah. I think I think I think they need a lot of things to go their way though. So 
Um, like but, winning the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good way, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I think I think they need they need to see a lot of progress from the young guys throughout the season. I think yeah. by this, I think the second half of the season, they need to be really hitting on all cylinders. You know that they need to have really um, understood whatever Lampard system is going to be and be very comfortable with it for them to have any chance. So yeah. Well, we'll see what happens, and uh, maybe they will make it back into the top four, but we'll see. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and then join us back for a recap of Spurs, Arsenal, and, like I said, the remnants of Manchester United. going to go over the next three teams in the top six, starting off with the Tottenham Hotspur. Um, they had, they also kind of had a, like a like a weird yeah. weird league season, and then not so great in the Cups, and then incredible in Europe by, I guess, their standards. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, great. I think overall is a great season for them, obviously because they made the Champions League final. Um, which they've never done before. Like, yeah. they, like the, it has to be a great success. Credit to Pochettino, um, really. Yeah, yeah. Really, really one of the best managers in, in Europe, for sure. It was another season of just close to winning a trophy yeah. and and not. So this, <laughs> to this the joy like, of Arsenal fans. Yeah, yeah, it's like this is like three or four, three seasons in a row that they've come very, very close um, to winning uh, a trophy and just falling short at the end, which you know it comes with being a young team. Um, that's something that you think will they'll get better at at least, right? So uh, definitely disappointing cup e- cup exits. They were third for a big big chunk of the season, really. Like they were third up until just about the last three weeks of the season, um, where they kind of just fell off. Um, and you know, I'm gonna be honest here. I'm throwing all stats, all tactical analysis, and quote-unquote rationale. I'm throwing it out the window when it comes for Tottenham here. There's really only one way for me to describe their season. It's a theory I've been workshopping for the last year or so, right? (laughs) Harry Kane is a prime example of the Ewing theory. Now, Elias, you may ask yourself, what is the Ewing theory? (laughs) The Ewing theory, it stems from the notion that Patrick Ewing, former basketball player, former great basketball player, when he was both at Georgetown and with the New York Knicks, inexplicably, whenever he was injured or missing extended stretches of the game for foul trouble or whatever, his teams played better. Doesn't make any sense, right? (laughs) Best player on the team, he's gone. The team somehow plays a lot better. (laughs) Two components must be true for the Ewing theory to uh, work, right? a star athlete that receives an inordinate amount of media attention and fan interest, and yet his team never wins anything substantial with him. Does that sound familiar? It sounds familiar, but you're... Two. I'll I'll let you finish. Two. That same athlete leaves his team, either by injury, trade, whatever, right? And both the media and fans immediately write the team off as most did in the second half of the season when Kane hurt his ankle and it looked like he was going to be out for the season. Sure. Their team, 
the entire second half. Their third for most of the second half of the season. Their entire knockout stage run to the Champions League final. And, you know, the 25 minutes that people thought that Tottenham might actually be challenging Liverpool and Chelsea and, and uh, City for the title. Kane is out completely. Interestingly enough, Kane is working his ass off, rehabbing to the point where during the last month of the season, there are all these rumors coming out that, oh, Harry Kane might be making it back for the end of the season. His rehabs look really good. His ankles starting to look really good. Oh, he's in training now? Crazy. (laughs) Whoa. All for uh, things to just fall apart. Under Under the rumors of him coming back, the team starts falling apart. The last five games of the Premier League season, they win one game. They win one, they lose three, and then he comes back finally. Oh, the savior, he's back. The hurricane. Oh, my gosh. We have him back for the Champions League final just to lose 2 nothing. So, is he a prime example of the Ewing theory? Absolutely correct. There's really <laughs> no argument here. Tottenham are better without Harry Kane, and you can't, you, you can't convince me otherwise. Okay. It has um, nothing to do with, um, you know, common sense. Or <laughs> <laughs> like, it, this is not, like, this is not, this is not facts, okay? This is just feeling, okay? We're post-facts era right now, okay? I don't, I don't, Elias, your thoughts? I don't even know if I have, like, the mental capacity to try and respond to that right now, but all I'll say is that Harry Kane, when he plays, is one of the more, most prolific strikers in Europe. You can't deny that much. Meet me halfway, at least. Okay, yeah. He shoots a lot, for sure. (laughs) Okay, I've barely got you there. Let's look at their Premier League campaign, right? They finished fourth to two of the best teams in Europe and then a questionable Chelsea team. 26 points off of second. So did everyone else. You said the same thing earlier, right? But here's my point. When Harry Kane was still in the team... They did really well. The reason why they were able to get so many goals in either the early part of the season or last season is because of Harry Kane. I'm not, you know, taking away anything from Son, from Mora, from Erickson, from the rest of their, you know, attacking front. But then you also have to look at the flip side and their entire Champions League campaign was almost entirely based on luck. It wasn't the fact that Harry Kane wasn't there. They got by Man City on dodgy calls and insane 30 minutes in a game that we may never see again on top of luck in the Ajax game when they were down to nothing from the first leg. That's not the lack of Harry Kane. That is The absence of Harry Kane. Oh, my God. But go on. (laughs) I can barely reason with you, but whatever. That's my point. My point is I don't think it's because of Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane's one of the best strikers in the world. Do they sometimes play better with him not in the team? Yes, but that's not because he's not there. It's because other players step up. Okay. So that's my thoughts on it. But Yes, okay, fair enough. I will just say... Oh, did, did, uh, I, did, you, did you say no one could dissuade you from your opinion? No. Did I? Really? <laughs> no, no, right. no. You're not dissuading me from the Ewing theory. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not dissuading me from that. <laughs> that, that cannot be disproved with facts. Sure, okay? of course, yeah. Um, no, no, I think... I think the interesting thing with Kane is, though, the reason why I think they might play a little better without him is because he, as you'd expect him to do, as one of the best strikers in Europe, shoots a lot. He shoots a lot of inefficient shots, a lot. A lot of shots from, like, 25 yards out. 
he takes a lot of those shots when, you know, that's something where you can pass on to someone mm-hmm. else and maybe try to work the ball into the box. I think with Sun in there when he came in, I think they played with a bit more pace. I think there are more runs from the striker into the box, which, you know, it comes with Sun being just a lot. A, a lot quicker, you know. Him right. and Moore were just quicker guys, so they yeah, yeah. they have to look to get to the ball, to get the ball in different ways. So, um, I, do I think that uh, factually they are better without him? Oh. Well, <laughs> you know, I I can't go back factually. Remember that, right? Right. Of course. Of course. I I think uh, I think that. Uh, Harry Kane is one of the best strikers in Europe. I think it's very interesting that his team plays better without him. But they did actually make some transfer this year. They got Ndombele. Um, Great who, signing. Yeah, yeah. So, so they really needed they really needed a lot more depth in, in the center mid um, yeah. area. You know, um, it's especially with I mean, there were rumors about Eriksson leaving yeah, and everything like that. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> what will be success for Tottenham this year? Getting Dybala. <laughs> Before the season even Look, starts, <laughs> if Tottenham Hotspur signs Paolo Dybala, I will buy a Dybala shirt and I will wear it every time they play Chelsea. There is no chance that Paolo Dybala is going to Tottenham. All right, let's let's, let's calm down. Yeah, right. the, I, I don't even want to entertain that. All right, well, um, I guess but the, success for them is winning a trophy, any trophy. Yeah, I think anything, I think yeah, I anything. think that's the level that they're at. They've proven that they are a good team, and they're a team that other big teams in Europe definitely could and should worry about. Yeah, um, it's just time that they. They show up and, and deliver it with, with actual silverware. Yeah, last trophy was in 2008, the League Cup. So, you, know, yeah. you got to Yeah, they got to win. If Arsenal can win FA Cups, they, they got to win, win a trophy if they want to keep all of those guys, pretty much. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's an important point, too, that if you want to keep your stars around, you got to you gotta keep pushing for finals and winning them. But um, we'll see what happens there. Um, moving on to the other part of North London, um, Arsenal. Arsenal FC. Um, first full season for Unai Emery first season without Arsene Wenger um I don't know I, I personally think that it's hard to transition managers yeah. especially after you know someone as significant as Arsene Wenger leaves even though he didn't leave with you know the best taste in some people's mouths um it's tough for any manager to step in there my initial thought was that Emery actually had an okay season um and I think Arsenal fan TV definitely <laughs> definitely gives you the other impression. Um, um, my favorite YouTube channel by far. Oh, easily. Yeah, if you <laughs> aren't subscribed to it, absolutely hit subscribe. Um, but no, I, I actually don't think he had that bad of a season. Um, I think the, the part that was disconcerting for a lot of Arsenal fans, and I understand <laughs> this, was that Spurs lost eight games in 2019, right? And you compare a lot of your performance based on your rivals. Right. And with Spurs losing that many or that amount uh, of games, there were a lot of opportunities for, for Arsenal to leapfrog them. And it was yeah. barely, it was basically at the end that they had the opportunity to do that. And we wouldn't even be talking about Spurs being in Champions League football at right. all. That wouldn't even be in the conversation. We would look, be looking at this entirely differently. Um, it's just a shame that Arsenal, they needed six points from their last five, basically, to, to clinch fourth, and they only managed to get four. Um, and they, I don't think they even played a single top six side, 
in the that entire stretch of game. So yeah. when you look at it through the perspective of the last couple games, you think, okay, yeah, that was terrible season. But recency effect, right? They were in a position to reach top four in the first place. Right. But if you if you take away the last, you know, five or six games, think about it in just the you know, the grand scale of things, you think, all right, it actually wasn't terrible. You had a golden boot winner in your team in Lacazette or excuse me, in Aubameyang, um, tied with, you know, the Manchester City duo. Um with Liverpool. Tom, Liverpool sorry, duo. Liverpool yeah. duo, yes. Um and, you know, twenty two goals. 31 in all competitions, Mm -hmm. and Lacazette with 19 goals and 10 assists. So they had great seasons, and overall, I think the team actually did okay. Um, But I think they ran into the same problem of not being able to actually perform at the end, whether it's in, you know, the Cups and getting towards knockout rounds, um, as well as the the end of the, (coughs) excuse me, the end of the Premier League season. They just didn't meet the criteria at the end to consider their season Excuse me, by most people, yeah. um, a success. Well, the thing was, I mean, they were at times one of the two or three most entertaining teams in the league, attacking-wise. Yeah, yeah. But uh, most times, they were one of the two or three most mediocre teams defensively. Right, right. <laughs> like, I mean, they still they, are. They, they really they are. still are. Um, you know, this shows in the fact they were 10th in expected goals allowed, right? So they were giving up quality chances a lot, you know, which comes with having guys like Socrates and Mustafi <laughs> playing in your, in your back line. You know, they always seem they're most dangerous with Lacazette and Aubameyang playing up top together, which was which made it really frustrating for me that it seemed like Emery did not go with them every week, especially early in the season. Yeah, the first half, especially of the season, early in the yeah. season, he didn't he didn't go with them. Uh, just playing the two of them together, he. Did a lot more at the end, but you know by that point <laughs> it was you know, a, little, a little too late. Yeah, yeah, right. And 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 at that point, the, the defense is coming apart at the seams too. So they had a, a very interesting summer so far, right? Um, you want to talk a little bit about Danny Ceballos? Um, Danny Ceballos is probably going to be my new favorite player in Europe. Bernardo Silver, so Mike, I can't even say his name. Silver, yes, uh, Bernardo Silver. Um, no, Bernardo Silva is probably my favorite player in the Premier League right now. Um, Dana Ceballos has the potential to become the next best thing. So I got the chance to watch him a little bit when he was at Real Batiste in La Liga. Um, and when he made the transfer to Real Madrid, I was extremely confused because he was not going to get playing time in in the midfield that they currently have. Um and so, I, he, well, I guess the other part of it is that he kind of turned down Barcelona as well, so I'm not bitter as well. Um, but when I, I was thinking, you know, he's not going to get playing time, what is he doing? And this is the result of that. He really didn't get that much playing time. But having watched him with Spain and having watched the way he plays, he is so good technically on the ball, and it is exactly what Arsenal need. They need someone other than, you know, the ghost of Mesut Ozil to, <laughs> to grace the Emirates because... Literally looking uh, like a ghost now with literally, yeah, hair, right? yeah, yeah, He's really going yeah. full ghost, yeah. <laughs> no, well, here's the thing, right? Like, you have Xhaka as your holding mid. You have, um, I guess, Ganduzi, um yeah. starting as well in um, a double pivot, right. which could be the case. And you have Ceballos in some sort of 10 role. Um Thinking about Ceballos combining with two of the most most prolific attacking players in England is actually making me excited for Arsenal for like the first time in like five years because 
they actually have someone that can play in passes, see passes, understand how a striker runs, especially develop you know after developing chemistry during you know first couple months and getting to know how each each one of them actually plays. Um, they have a really really good midfielder in Danny Ceballos, and he has the potential to easily become a starter. Um, but not only that, I think he has the potential to push them into the top four position. Um, and you were kind of talking about how like top, like the fourth position, quote unquote, is kind of up for grabs. Um, I think Arsenal have the potential to do that. But again, the back four worries me. Yeah, significantly. That's that's the thing. The, that's the, the transfers are really interesting from them because it seems like Arsenal have decided that you know conceding goals is more of a mindset rather than <laughs> rather than a fault and a skill. Right? It's sure. not a skill. It's more of a how you think, right? <laughs> um, I mean, they've they've got a back line that really rivals the ineptitude of Manchester United. Right, it, it's it's really one Harry Maguire signing away from being worse than than any of the top six clubs. Right now, yeah. if I were an Arsenal fan here, uh, there are a couple ways that I could try to justify spending eighty million pounds on another attacking midfielder instead of uh, I don't know maybe signing a center back whose last name is not Socrates or Mustafi. <laughs> right, just throwing out names here. Maybe they could look at some guy named uh, well Harry Maguire. Um, <laughs> but I digress. Right. Perhaps Arsenal and their uh, their head executives looked at their expected goals from this season and saw that actually based on the quality of chances that they created, they actually outperformed their expected output by about eight goals, which you know, shows that, you know, they're really good finishers. But yeah. perhaps they're, they could be creating even more chances. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, if looking at their expected points, they actually gained about 11 more points in their expected output in that category. So exactly. maybe they saw that there's room for improvement there and. And uh, maybe we need to score more, right? Additionally, maybe they read this analysis, which I will put in the link of our description for this episode, from um, the 21st Club called Controlling the Uncontrollable. They write an article on win variability of high-scoring games, right? So they say the principal reason why variance exists in soccer is that's because it's low-scoring sport, right? So a goal is more influential than a three-point shot, right. right, in basketball. So teams often lose games that, you know, based on performances – they really deserve to win. You know, we see that all the time, right? Um, so their analysis suggests that, on average, the team that creates notably the more the more dangerous chances, you know, the better team, actually only wins around sixty four percent of the time. Yeah. Right. So from that, they conclude that since soccer is such a low scoring game, the variance um, can be reduced by making the games higher scoring. Right. Their data seems to suggest that better teams actually win around 75% of the time in games with over two and a half goals, right? Versus 50% of the time with games less than uh, two, that have less than two and a half combined goals, right? right? So maybe also has gone out to get Pepe and an attacking midfielder, um, Ceballos, because they want to win every game seven <laughs> goals, with seven goals, right? Right. Um, if that was their strategy, I wouldn't be so sure that with the guys they've currently got that they're not going to concede eight. So, <laughs> exactly, so, yeah. so like, <laughs> that's, that's one way to look at it. So um, we'd have to say success for them would most definitely be finishing top four, yeah. right? That's yeah. got to that's they, this is their third straight season to be out of the Champions League, so that's yeah. their number one priority. Now. I mean, they did they didn't make it to the Europa League final. I think that's right. one thing I forgot to mention during you know me saying that I don't think it was actually that bad of a season for them. Um, they but made they, they made it to a European final. True, they um, did, but they lost four. But they lost, one. yeah, exactly. Four one, they right. were horrible, right? The because they conceded a bunch yeah. of goals. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think yeah. they do have a good season um, this season. We'll see if they make top four. You're gonna have to wait for our predictions at the end. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I think uh, we'll see what happens. On to whatever is left of the other Manchester club. <laughs> uh, I really, really have concerns about Manchester United. Um, but do you want to talk about <laughs> last season's performance or whatever you can really call oh, it? As a Chelsea fan, last season was very, very familiar. <laughs> 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 Going into the 2015-16 Chelsea season, coming off of winning the league, um, Mourinho was was having, you know, we're just going back in time. He was having a lot of uh, trouble with the board, saying we need to make signings, we need to make better signings, this team's not good enough. Uh, some people came in out of shape, named Diego Costa, um, and, and the team started the season horribly. We switched to 2018, the same things are happening in the summer leading up to the 2018 season. Um, and United come out and lose two of their first three games, which they've never done in their history, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, and, you know, everything is just an absolute debacle for the first, like, four months. Um, Mourinho completely falling out with Pogba. Um, it was like that, the video, did you see that in, uh, in training? Yes, the one that yes, was, yeah. yes. When he says something to he says something to him and Pogba gives him the stank Instagram. face. It was something like, stupid. Yeah. yeah. So unbelievable. Um, the stank face. Yeah. Gave him the stank face. He really gave him the stank face. <laughs> um, you know. So Mourinho, after seventeen games and twenty six points, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> they were at, they were at one point closer to relegation than they were to uh, fourth place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was. It was. Unbelievable to watch, um, unbelievably entertaining for sure. But um, from our perspective, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. So Mourinho gets the sack, and in comes Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who, if you remember, was the Swansea manager when they got or Cardiff, sorry, Cardiff City manager, and when they got relegated. So you know he comes in and they go on a tear for about two months. Right, his first fourteen games, they have twelve wins. Two losses, two draws, thirty-eight points in the first fourteen games. It's actually and like pretty good for like any team, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's a fantastic start to right, the season, right. to, to a season, right? Um, and it looks like they're like, going to creep up on fourth and third, right? And then Oligan or Solskjaer for some reason gets the permanent job. Right. Once again, this guy was the manager of Cardiff City when they got relegated. Right. Yeah. He actually hasn't really. He hasn't been a good. He has shown right. nothing that he's actually a good manager. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, they are. They end the season with zero points in the last five games. Right. Zero points in the last five. A complete disaster to end the season. They finish in sixth. They. Just barely reached some success in the Champions League yeah. with, with the with one of just the most dirty VAR calls. I it, it really it was the call that made me stop liking VAR pretty much. Really, that was yes. the one. Yeah, that was the one. That was where it started. Um, so they get past them um, amazingly with with PSG also just completely collapsing in that game. Ne- uh, Neymar's face at the end oh. was. Priceless. Yeah, I, yeah. It's it's my favorite gif <laughs> of all time. Uh, but you know they go into the quarterfinals and obviously they lose a bunch <laughs> to Barcelona. <laughs> like, obviously they're going to concede yeah. four goals. Yeah, like, for sure. Maybe? Yeah. Um, so they end the season in sixth place with sixty six points, which is their second lowest points total in their in their history in the Premier League. Yeah. It's 
their lowest points total since finishing seventh with David Moyes. <laughs> wow, I actually didn't know that. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. To be fair, you can't you can't put it all on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So I no. I know I butchered that, but you know, like it's not all his fault. I think I think it's twofold in one United hiring him yeah. as a permanent manager so early. Even though it seemed like a good idea at the time, you still in an ideal world should wait till the end of the season I to agree. evaluate the entire time that he had to to make an impact in his overall performance. The team was notably worse after he got the the job, so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but I do think that the one thing that he fixed was the mentality of the team. I think that that was okay. yeah. so detrimental to the, yeah. their success that Almost anyone coming but in that's knew the, would have but, changed but it. That's why, if you're a Chelsea fan, this really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the Mourinho thing is so toxic by the end yeah. that they could have brought us in to be right, managers, right. and the team would have would have probably played a lot better yeah. because <laughs> they would have just been happier. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. like, honestly, they could have gone out and gotten um, who they could have gotten Michael Bradley to come <laughs> in and be the manager, and, and things probably would have, and they probably would have looked a lot better. Right? <laughs> Dare I say, Bob Bradley comes yeah, back? <laughs> yeah, him too. Bring yeah. him back. Yeah, I mean, it, things were just so toxic by the end that I think that. Um, it was really short-sighted of them to look at that and think that, oh, it must be the manager. You know? Yeah. Um, he, he, Marina wasn't playing Pogba. Yeah. <laughs> by, yeah. By, the, by the last, like, three or four games of his tenure. Who's easily your best player, yeah. by far. And and he, and you need to keep him happy, right? Yeah. So well, what did you maybe mean? they thought that, that giving Solskjaer the, the uh, full-time job would make him happy, but... Sure. That did not, it, it, it did not <laughs> hindsight twenty twenty. Right. Um, but what do you, I mean? Speaking of Pogba, what did you think of Pogba's you know season, Lukaku's season, who may or may not be on his way out for a Dybala yeah, switch? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like Rashford, Lukaku, Pogba, the core of this team now. I, I, what do you think of their overall performance? I mean, on an individual level, on an individual level, Pogba when he's super happy and and everything is just perfect for him he's one of he's like one of the probably five or six best midfielders in yeah. the world right yeah. so um i thought he was really he was really his numbers would suggest he was really good last year but you watch and you would say that yeah he was really good for like two months yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so so um but I, I think uh i think rashford getting a chance um to play through the middle Consistently will be really good for him. I think he. I think um, if he's starting there week in week out, um, he he showed a lot of flashes last year. He's, yeah, he's he really, really he's, did. He's he's a really good finisher. He's he's um, if he gets the chance, I think that that he'll have a lot of success this season. And um, onto the Lukaku thing, <laughs> I think I gosh. think he's on his way out. I genuinely think he's. I think he's on his way out, one hundred percent. If. <sighs> It's, it's unbelievable if they're able to to swap Lukaku for DiBala, that would be criminal. Okay, <laughs> like FIFA should really look into match fixing at that point. Okay, <laughs> why in the world would a team that is managed by Maurizio Sarri look at Romelu Lukaku <laughs> and think, you know, who fits really well for our system? <laughs> this guy whose first touch. It makes people cry. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I mean, I, I sent you this text last night, right? Like, the whole, like, I'm trying to imagine, like, their negotiations. And I can only, I can only imagine Juventus saying, 
or United saying, like, listen, hear me out. <laughs> you have a world-class PC winger that can play the nine role. Um, and the other is Paulo Dybala because, because <laughs> clearly, you know, Juventus are getting the better end of the deal here. <laughs> Look, unless they're, unless they're giving Lukaku and about, uh, 300 billion pounds then why would Juventus even consider this this is this would be one of the stupidest transfers in a uh, while in a while in a long while to yeah. switch out Dybala for Lukaku yeah <laughs> yeah I just hope it's it's just paper crap but we'll we'll see yeah yeah so I, I think I think United did did do good business we get Business with getting Aaron Wan Bissaka um, from Crystal Palace. He was yeah. he was Crystal Palace's best player and one of the best right backs in the league last year. And that's uh, I mean fullback is a they're just they're really bad <laughs> at fullback. They're really yeah. bad at center back. Yeah. So anything they, in the defensive line. Anything in defensive line. Yeah. They needed they needed guys that they could rely on like quality players at those yeah. positions. So the one thing that I hope doesn't. It, impact their midfield is losing Ender Herrera, which he never really he, played he, consistently. Yeah, he but actually was one of their better one of one of their best midfielders last season. Exactly. Exactly. So I hope that doesn't impact them too much, but I don't really have much high hopes for their success this season. I think success for them would be we top know six. Top, well top four. It's top top four. top four would be success for them. Maybe I'm just not expecting them. Okay, to get yeah, top, that's top fair. Four. That's fair. But but yeah, they're Manchester United. They need to be in the Champions League. That's, Absolutely, that's, that's success for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we're gonna take another quick little break, and then we will come back with a little more info on our table predictions, as well as some of the best and worst transfers and the team with the brightest future. back with a couple more items on the agenda for today. Um, we're going to go through starting off the team with the brightest future. So what Rihanna and I did, actually, we prepared two teams that we thought um, could end up in the top six, um, and we did not tell each other the teams. So this is the first time we're going to be finding out. Um, do you want to start off with uh, what team you chose? Yeah, I'd like to hear yours, actually. All right. Um, yeah. So the team that I chose is Wolves. Yes, we did yeah. pick the same okay, team. So okay, so we, we had a hunch that we picked yeah. the same team, um, but we didn't know. So we both, I guess, chose Wolves. Um, I can give a brief intro to their manager, um, Nuno Santo, um, who is one of my favorite managers, actually, in the Premier League. Um, a little bit of background on him. He was the Valencia manager in La Liga, so that's how I know him a little bit. Um, and he was there for a season or two, and he, he ended up resigning um, in the middle of the 2015 season. Um, but he is most famously known, at least when he was in uh, or at the Mestalla, he defeated Real Madrid 2-1. Um, and hearing him talk about that game was really interesting, and I started you know, trying to understand a little bit more about him as a manager. Um, and it, it, his mind is really, really interesting. So I guess the reason why I personally chose... Uh, chose wolves is uh, you know definitely more than twofold but the first one is their general performance last year against the top six um their performance against the top six was incredible i think if you look at the points that they accrued um they were third um in you know 
the teams in the top six against other teams in the top six on points that they were able to take off each other. Um, only third to City and Liverpool. Um, and when you look at that performance, you would think, oh, that's worthy of a team that should be in the top six. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that their biggest problem was actually facing teams in the bottom six. Um, or, quite frankly, any team that was really below them in the table because against Burnley, Cardiff, Fulham, Southampton, Huddersfield, you know, Brighton, they were the worst team in terms of getting points off of the teams in the bottom six that were eventually relegated. Um, so, you know, I, you start thinking about what team is, you know, or what's actually setting them up for that sort of failure in the at the bottom. Um, and you think, oh, is it just defensive structure? Is it mentality? Things like that. Well, the attacking prowess that they possess is actually extremely strong. I think one of the best things that they could have done this summer um, in terms of transfers was bringing in Raul Jimenez on a permanent deal. Yeah. Um, Diego Jota had an incredible season um, compared to where he was in the championship. He was able to continue that sort of performance in the Premier League a couple seasons later. Um, and for me, the three most crucial players in their team um, all had great seasons this past, this, excuse me, this past season. Ruben Neves, um, Matinho, and the surprise in their team, who I thought um, was surprising at least, um, Den Donker, I'm, I really got to get good at that name, but <laughs> Den Donker um, addressed a lot of weaknesses that this Wolves team had. Um, and when Nuno started playing him a little bit more, um, at least more consistently yeah. in the standard, I guess you could call it 3-5-2, 5-3-2. It's sort of a hybrid. Um, I thought they, they flourished in those sort of formations um, or at least some sort of hybrid of a 3-4-3. But um, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on Wolves too because I really yeah. do think that they could become a top six team. Yeah, so mine, mine went a little bit more into, the, uh, into their expected points and expected goals stuff, right? So they actually finished... Uh, sixth in terms of expected points above Arsenal, right? So, you know, the differential of their games would actually show that they were a better, a slightly, not even slightly, a a better team than actually where they finished, right? Um, They also had one of the fewest, they were one of the fewest in terms of opponent passes within 20 yards of the goal. You know, they were uh, fifth, sorry, sixth in that category. You know, just they were in front of Arsenal with that too as well, right? Um, as well as in terms of their expected goals, they were about there's about six goal difference between their expected goals and actual goals scored, which puts them at the third highest difference there. So it shows they were actually making some pretty good chances, and they just couldn't they weren't as great at finishing this year or this past season. So uh, I think there's a lot of room for them to grow in terms of that attacking stuff, right? So. Perhaps part of that, the reason why there's such a difference between their expected goals and actual goals scored is because um, when they're playing those teams down at the bottom of the table, when those teams um, start parking it a little bit and just uh, becoming really compact, I think they maybe lacked a little bit of the creativity and... um, well, probably just a lot of the creativity, really, uh, that happened. So maybe they were getting good chances, but actually there's just a lot of defenders and stuff there, too. So yeah. that's the biggest hurdle that they have to jump, I think, to get to break into the top six. But I, like I said, I, I really like their manager, too. I think he's I think he's one of the best managers in the league, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, they they seem to spend money, too. They, they um, It looks like they 
are about to um, actually get uh, Patrick Coutron. Coutron oh, yeah. from yeah. Milan. From Milan, yeah. Yeah, he's a 21-year-old forward, um, someone that could possibly play up top with um, Jimenez. Mm. You know, he he didn't have that great of a season for um, Milan this past year. It he was like had, six goals. Yeah, yeah. Like it was that. it was pretty low. Um, someone that probably that didn't fit very well into Milan's system, um, and it was a tough season for Milan in general. Honestly, yeah. they finished they finished sixth. So um, I think maybe him coming in with Menez, he provides a bit more pace. So that could be something that they could really work well together and provide just a different option attacking wise. Someone who can get in behind defenders um, and may provide a bit more. Uh, creativity in terms of linking up with Jimenez so I think that I think there's a lot more goals that can come from this team and I think they're really solid defensively um they also boasted one of the top they were also um in the top five in terms of expected goals allowed they were fourth so you know I, I think this team can with a few bounces because obviously they're going to need luck if they're going to be able to make it every in the top team six. does yeah, yeah. They're, they're like especially the teams outside that that top six like they're going to need a little luck um and I, I think you know they're the possibility that they could maybe they could finish higher than united maybe they could finish higher than arsenal yeah maybe they could finish higher than chelsea you know um they they could really break in top six i think they're i think they're the best team primed for it in terms of um a cohesiveness attacking and defensively so yeah no the one thing that i want to to point out when you're talking about expected goals and expected shots and and things like that too on the stats side um the one thing i think that's important to point out while they are bringing in another striker um their attacking power has only gotten better over the season it didn't didn't start off you know incredibly Mm -hmm. well um but by the end of the season so what i think one thing that nuno did um that was interesting is he moved Joda around a little bit and he moved him more towards I believe um you know a wider position or excuse me from a wider position to a more central position um because he's he's a striker that makes more outward runs um and so when you when he lined up in a 3-5-2 position or a 3-5-2 formation um and this is what I was talking about with Dedenocker um making space into the half run or making runs into the half space that Joda or you know any other striker that would create um, is that his output in expected goals um, nearly doubled in production, um, and so when you look at his his shots per ninety as well, that also uh, went up significantly. It didn't quite double, but it was significant. Um, and looking at him as their top striker or top goal scorer last season, you only think that that can increase yeah. um, going forward, especially as they as they add. More solidity, solidity, and you know, refine and tweak some things within exactly. um, within their midfield. And I think one of the things that um, Nuno said, uh, I believe it was last season. I'm not sure, um, but it was it was a quote from him saying something along the lines of, "I don't, you know, tweak that much of my formation. I tweak a lot of my system, um, and a system is is more of a broader right. concept, right?" Um, and so it shows that he's easily adaptable to, to things that change. And, and I do think that, like you said, this is Wolves' you know, best opportunity that they're going to yeah. have. Um, well, I'm not going to say in a long time, but you know, this is their best opportunity going forward for them to, to crack the top six and, and probably play European football next yeah. year. Yeah, and they, were, and they were great at home, too. They were one of the, they were one of the best teams at home. Um, so I think, uh, I think 
I think they've got the manager. I think they've got the players to do it. Um, it's going to be really, really hard, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, you could have a really bad season from any one of the three of Chelsea, Arsenal, or United, and that's all it takes, yeah. really. Yeah, for someone else to crack the top six. So we'll see. I think we have we have high hopes for Wolves. Um, um, I think it's hilarious that we both chose the same team. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we both have high hopes for Wolves, so we'll see what happens. Um, best of luck to them. Um, we're going to move on to a couple other predictions. Um, our first uh, actual thoughts on some of the best and worst transfers that we've had so far in the summer. Um I know my best personally is Danny Ceballos. I know I talked a lot yeah. about him, a lot about him during the the Arsenal preview, but I really do think he has the this talent and the skill to make a huge impact in connecting the lines um, at Arsenal and moving the ball into the channel for the you know two most deadly or you know some of the most deadly strikers in Europe. Um, so I have really high hopes for him as a signing. Um, I just hope he's he's played properly in a position that he's most comfortable in. I think that'll be key in this. Arsenal system. Um, do you have anyone you want to throw? Yeah, into? yeah. We talked about him last week. Um, Rodri. You know, I've done. I've looked at looked at more yeah. of his highlights and looked at and uh, just looked at how he played with Atletico Madrid, especially coming from a Diego Simeone team that yeah. you know plays with a lot of tenacity, as mm. we saw in the friendly <laughs> a couple yeah. nights ago. When, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're they're always ready to play. I that think, wasn't a friendly, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything but it was anything but. Um, I think having a guy in the holding mid that. Um, is going to provide a lot more creativity than Fernandinho, give you something different there. I mean, this team's just going to keep creating chances. There's just going to be another gear they can go to in games as when you have someone who's um, at his size, able to win the ball back, but also play a great ball into forwards stuff. So um, I think that's probably my, my favorite for the summer. Yeah, one, one other shout that we both had was... Um, Confirming on Wolves' end, uh, Raul Jimenez to yes. a permanent yeah. deal because he was on loan, obviously, um, and so Wolves made that a permanent deal. And I think that was one of the best th- pieces of business that uh, a Premier League team has done for themselves so far. But you know, there is still a couple of days, couple about a, yeah. a week or so, yeah. um, a week and a half or so left um, in the transfer window for English teams. So we'll see what happens, and maybe we'll see Dybala in, uh, in Manchester Red. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, but in ter- so in terms of, I don't know if you have a, a worse transfer, but mine would have to be, um, I, you know, it was great for Arsenal to get a center back, you know, in Saliba, who's young and um, could slot right into the team and and play very well. Um, but he's not going to be able to slot <laughs> right into the team because they loaned him back out. Right. Um, you know, you, you get a guy who at your biggest position of need. And um, and you loan him back out. I don't understand that really. Um, I don't know what they're going to be doing in terms of the last like week and a half here, and if they're going to be going out to try to get a real center back to come yeah. and play there, or they're going to rely on I guess Callum Chambers. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Rob holding Callum Rob Chambers holding back out of the yeah. Game. So it, it was a weird one for Marcel. I didn't quite understand it. Um, I think I think it might be financial. I think it might be playing Perhaps. time. I think playing time is probably the majority of that decision. Um, but yeah, it is it is a weird one. Position that they need a lot of help in. Um, you, you throw the player that you just signed right back at the club that he signed from. Yeah, I, I don't get it. But hey, we're not in management. We're just here <laughs> to comment. So 
A um, couple of predictions that we have coming up. Um, best player of the year in the Premier League. Um, personally, I think it's going to be a bummying. Okay. Um, I know that might be controversial. I think you could make a shout for Bernardo Silva. Silva. I really got to get his name down. Um, I'm very interested to see what Ceballos and Rodri do. Um, but I think Aubameyang is posed to have another great season, uh, especially in adding Ceballos. And a lot of right. these awards obviously go to um, attacking players rather than middies or, or defenders. Right. Um, but again, there's Van Dyke to consider, um, things like that. But I, I genuinely think that Aubameyang has the potential and um, has the possibility to become yeah. you know, the, the outstanding player in the Premier League this year. But we'll see. Yeah, I I, I want to go. I'm cautiously going to go with Bernardo Silva. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's tough to go with the City player because they have so much depth and because they're going to be playing on uh, four fronts. Yeah. Right, there's going to be a lot of rotation in the Premier League, so it's um, it's always tough to pick a City player because you don't know if. He's, he's gonna, the right city player. You don't, right, that <laughs> for sure. But but you don't know if he's gonna get if he's gonna get the numbers that it'll take to really be considered um, player of the year, right? So yeah, um, I will go Bernardo Silva because um, I think he takes another step this year. I think he, I think that Pep has even more confidence in him, um, and I think that you know he probably gets a few more assists. He gets in more goal scoring opportunities. Um, He's he's really pushing. He's really done a great job at um, with David Silva most likely leaving after this season. He's really pushed into a, a great position to take over that uh, part of the team. Yeah. So those are our choices for best player. But <clears throat> although I chose a striker for top scorer um, or for best player, I'm not going to choose the same one for top scorer. I think that. This year, because Liverpool are going to probably be gunning for the Premier League more than anything, I think this is the season that Mo Salah gets his okay. gets his um, his game back when it comes to Premier League goals and, and things like that. I mean, he um, won the gold. <laughs> he did. He did. Obviously, he has. He can reach that level, yeah. right? We know that he can. Um, but I think that he will once again regain that title. Um, and I think, I think it's going to be somewhat close to the Bumiang because you can't really mm-hmm. give the best player to play as not top top score all the time. Um, but I think that Mo Salah, because he is so skillful and because Liverpool definitely won the Premier League trophy more than anything, um, will be playing him all the time in the Premier League. Um, will only for sure have gotten better under Klopp over the summer and, and refining and tweaking things that they need to improve upon. Um, I think that Mo Salah could be the, the top scorer. Um, and in terms of assists... I think it's going to be Bernardo Silva. Um, okay. Obviously, he's an incredibly gifted player. Um, I have a feeling with Rodri in a holding midfield position that Bernard- Bernardo Silva is going to actually have a little more free reign to move forward um, between the lines. It's not like he doesn't already, mm-hmm. but I think that when you had Fernandinho even there, you had someone that was a little slower, wasn't as athletic as Rodri, um, whereas Rodri can cover a lot of ground and wouldn't require a lot of backtracking from Bernardo Silva, even though he can. Um, I think Bernardo Silva has the potential to, because you know he will probably be playing more than he did in the last couple seasons, um, have the, you know, the top assist. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna, for top score, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Harry Kane. Um, do you yeah. you understand? Do, uh, yeah, you know whatever. what this means. I, I give up. Yeah, you know what this means. It what? means they're finishing sixth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, 
He'll 50, score 50 goals yeah. from Harry Kane exactly. and then uh, 51 total goals yes, for the team. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with Kane. Um, I, I think I think that um, I think they're gonna be better. And they're gonna have a little more creativity in the midfield, with especially when Dombele, um coming in. Um, and Erickson, you know, I I'm also gonna go with Erickson for top assists. I, I think interesting. Yeah, he was he was great again last season. Um, I, I think Tottenham's really relying on those guys, on all their young guys, to keep getting better together. Just yeah. tough to expect because you know at that young age the consistency <clears throat> is not quite there. But I, I think right. those are I think those are their two most consistent players, and um, I think that Erickson takes another step and. and Gets more opportunities, especially if Kane is fully healthy throughout the season. I For think. The full season, yeah. I think. I think. Um, I think Kane ends up with top scorer. I think uh, Erickson ends up with the most assists. It's not bad. Um, lastly, we're going to wrap up with our final table predictions for the top six. So, yeah. you want to start off with yours? Yeah. Um, I hate to do this. I, I. I like I said before. I think they're the most the uh, most deep team in Europe. Um, they think they've got probably the best coach. I'm gonna go with City finishing first. I think uh, Liverpool finishes second. Um, I think <laughs> I think Tottenham probably finishes third. I think I think I think the gap between the first the top two is still huge. Yeah. Um, you mean so, top two and the rest and the, and the rest. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Between the top two and the rest, um, I th- I'm gonna go with yeah. So Tottenham finishing third. Um, I'm going to say Arsenal finishes fourth. Uh, if I think they'll score a lot of goals this year. I think if they, if they can get to 80 goals, I think they finish fourth. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think fair. They, they, they had 70, they had 73 uh, last season. I, I think if they get to 80, I think they, I, I think that'll That's really all they need. be enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were talking about how they just needed a couple more goals to they win a couple more yeah, games at the end yeah. last season. So, yeah. So I think, I think, um. I think they get to that point. I think they finish fourth. I think Chelsea finishes fifth. Um, this is really, really a lot to ask for Lampard to um, finish top four with all the limitations on the team for this year. Um, as a Chelsea fan, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch them anyway because it's going to be a lot of young guys. And, um, you know, expectations are low, so you'll be just happy to see them do well in any capacity. Um, and then six, I'm going to have to say United. I don't I, – I – I don't see how Pogba playing this entire season will be great for team chemistry. I don't, <laughs> I don't see how that goes well. Um, I still have so many questions about their depth in terms of their back line. Um, and I think they're honestly, if they get to Christmas and they're, and they're at least eight or nine points off of fourth, they should pack in the yeah. rest of the promotions and try to win the Europa League yeah. in all yeah. honesty because they'll be one of the most talented teams in that and I think that's sure. their best chance of getting back into the champs, yeah. Champions League so my top six is actually very similar um, I choose City as one Liverpool as two um, I'm going to go with Spurs as three even though I think it's going to be very close between Spurs and Arsenal um, which means I'm going with Arsenal in four um, I'm then going to go with Chelsea in five, and my surprise pick is going to be Wolves at six. I don't think United even make top six this year. Um, Reason being, I think that they're just too weak of a core 
to challenge the rest of the top six teams. Um, and I think that Wolves have the potential. They've shown that they have the potential to crack the top six, and I genuinely think that they can make it into the top six. Um, and I'm still very worried about United's back line, conceding yeah. goals. You talked about the stats. I have a lot of major fears about that. Um, and I don't necessarily see it getting any better in the short term, especially in what they will probably lose in Lukaku, even though yeah. we joke about him all the time. He still scored a decent number of goals yeah. for them, you know, enough for them to get by. Um, and so you're losing that on top of that. So I just, I don't even see them in the top six. I'm going Wolves with in, uh, in sixth place. Yeah. It's going to be, it's gonna be yeah. tough for them. I think there's some questions on their attacking line too. I, th- I think outside of um, Rashford, um, Lingard's Lingard's a good player, yeah. But um, it's someone that you can rely on in terms of getting you goals and assists for an entire season. Who knows? Uh, I'm, I, I'm not convinced. Um, and you know, the Sanchez is not the player he was. Um, maybe this guy David James that they brought in the Welsh, yeah. Welsh international. Um, but he's very young, so it's hard to rely on that too. So I think yeah. I think there, I think there's going to be a, a lot of trouble in terms of actually finishing chances on this team. So. Yeah. Well, with that, that's going to wrap up our Premier League season preview. Um, the league starts in a little over a week now, um, next weekend. I believe it's next weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, following weekend, so following next, Friday. Yeah, next next uh, weekend is the Community Shield, Man City and Liverpool. That'll be great. Yep. Um, and then that following week, the first game's on August 9th. On Friday. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for giving us a listen. Um, Our next podcast will be out very soon. It's going to be on our astute debate on VAR, the one that we've talked so much about. So we're going to have a little bit of a debate about that. And we will be back after that talking about more European football very soon. Thanks for giving a listen. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 